Security Confidential by Dark Rhino Security, where we get together and talk about all things information security. Today we're taking a little bit of a deviation. We're going to be talking about bourbon and security and talent. Uh, I'm Tyler, an information security practitioner with Dark Rhino Security. And I'm Jordan Falk, Enterprise Account Executive with TopTel. Yeah, thanks for joining. Yeah, excited to be here. And we're going to talk about security as far as talent is concerned. How hard it is to find. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So stick with us and uh, I guess uh, we'll get this going. Cheers. Cheers. It is, uh, it's called Johnny Drum. So if you had to take a guess at how much that bottle cost, what would you say? Uh, 65, 80. Really? Okay. Something like that. I mean, is that... Yeah, I mean, you could buy three of those for that, but oh, <laughs> it's, wow. it's literally, it's like 25 to $30. I'm terrible with that, by the way. Yeah, uh, which is why I always have French dry, because I think <laughs> uh, a lot of times bourbon can be hard to get into, because I think a lot of it's so expensive. I think this one's yeah. got a lot of flavor for a little bit of price. So. Yeah, well, it's a good one. I mean, the, the funny thing is that it's, it's not necessarily the really expensive bourbons as this bourbons yeah. that, are, that are really worth your time. It's, uh, it's, it's funny. They kind of take off people, snatch them up. And then all of a sudden a $45 bottle of bourbon, it's impossible to find. Oh yeah. And you go online and you look it up and it's like, yeah, you can get it, but it's not $45 anymore. <laughs> it's 120. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it can get pretty aggressive. I think. When it comes to, uh, comes to bourbon and finding the right bourbon in, in many ways to me it, it mirrors finding the right talent yeah uh in it specifically security specifically uh that can be extremely difficult to do very much and you mentioned before that you had some some kind of interesting statistics yes but they say for every it opening that a hiring manager releases they receive 70 plus resumes. Uh, and from that, I mean, you might have, you know, one or 2% of that actually be qualified individuals. Wow. Um, I think that's somewhat, and, and not to, you know, bash on anyone, but I think that can be a drawback on some of the, you know, job posting websites is there's not really a lot of filtering to it. So mm -hmm. what you see is a lot of people looking for jobs that say, hey, yeah, that looks interesting. I'd like to do that. But what you're not getting is, hey, I'm qualified to do that. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think that's that's pretty interesting. And also, I think on average, it can take, at least on the enterprise side, not for you know maybe someone on a, a startup to mid-size scale, but it can take anywhere from three to four months to fill um, a standard IT position, which is a long time. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds about right. I think a regular IT position, it's amazing the number of people that you have 70 applications per open spot is is quite a few uh to to and then couple that with one to two percent who are actually qualified for it yeah mm -hmm. yeah i think it can look like your dream job but you have to quickly catch the attention of the person uh, that's looking at that so and that goes into the importance of you know resume writing and you know networking in the area and i mean being part of groups and stuff like that there's, there's a whole lot more to that but um, yeah i think the statistic is actually less than a minute that the average hiring manager takes. So if you think about that, I mean, 70 resumes, a minute, a resume, I mean, you know, that's an hour just reading resumes that you're just skimming through. Right. So, you know, it can be extremely tough. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially when you consider the fact that that's probably not the only wreck that they had. Oh, yeah. That's open. And not the only thing they had to do for that day. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, what makes a resume stand out? Um, you know, I always look for, you know, if you don't, if you aren't specifically labeling yourself as a consultant, mm-hmm. which if you're on the, you know, security side, I would suggest maybe doing that. I look at longevity in a role. Um, you know, I always think that, you know, if a company has someone that's, you know, great and very talented, they don't usually let them go very easily. Mm-hmm. So I usually look for duration, um, how long they've stayed in the role. I also look at career progression. Mm-hmm. So not only have they stayed somewhere for a couple of years, but have they advanced their career? Mm-hmm. Um, I think specifically with um, security, I think if you look at certifications as well, I think mean, that's huge. I think mm-hmm. it shows someone that's willing to take time outside of you know the eight to ten hours a day that they're working to actually invest back in themselves. So I think that that's a that's a huge indicator as well. Right, yeah, I agree because it's uh, it it's not a static industry. We're not, we're not cutting diamonds here. We're, we're dealing with technology that changes so quickly that if you don't see that, and and I agree when I look at a resume, I'm looking for somebody that it does invest in their own personal development. Right. Uh, you know, not, not even in security, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a certification. Maybe it's training. Maybe it's a product that they did on their own time. Mm-hmm. Um, but certifications are definitely, you know, they have their places. It's, uh, it's, it's I guess, metered fair, if you will. You know, and, and being in the industry, you probably know what certifications are, you know, right. actually mean something. You know, there's ones that are just, you know, hours, mm-hmm. hours based. Like, hey, they spent this much time doing this. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're that great. It's between those cell workers. But, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, that's an interesting point. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean, uh, for from a security perspective, it's it seems like there's less of a logjam of applicants. Uh, and I base that on the conversations I have with people that want to get into the industry. And there's just this hesitant feature quality about people who are really serious about it that you can tell that they take it seriously and they're like, uh, you know, I don't know if I've got the skills required. Uh, and, and that's where that conversation about, well, what are you doing in your personal time? Mm-hmm. Like, how are you developing yourself? What are you, what are you studying? What projects are you working on? Um, and, and a lot of people to me, uh, that kind of stuff can be just as valuable as, as formal education or certifications, um, depending on what the project they're working on is. Maybe they set up uh, enterprise-grade security on their home network. You know, so, some sort of thing that is actually applicable to enterprise security. Um, and, and a lot of people, they leave that stuff off of their resume. They yeah. do the work and they don't put it on there. Uh, how? How would you say someone should put that kind of a thing uh, to, to use if they've, if they've got a list of things they've worked on, where would that go on their resume? So I always like to see, uh, cause you know, I've been in the, the field for a while, but I'm not technical myself. Mm-hmm. So um, some things that I've seen that are kind of unique is to under, like underneath a position talking about accomplishments. So almost having a, you know, list out a couple bullet points of, Hey, you know, this was, these were my daily responsibilities, you know, two or three bullet points of that. But I always like seeing accomplishment sections. 
hey, during this, you know, this role, I actually achieved, you know, X certification or, you know, from a security standpoint, you know, maybe they got their vulnerability down to a certain percent or something like that, like some sort of accomplishment to show um, not only what you did, but the outcome of what you did. Um, I think that's always a cool way to show that. Okay. Yeah. So talking about the outcomes mm -hmm. as opposed to just, we did this. Yeah, th this is what I did between the hours of eight and five, and then yeah. I went home to do it. Yeah, it's, um, but you actually brought up something earlier that I wanted to ask you about that. And this can get us sent down a rabbit hole, so I don't want to go that far. But, um, you know, being someone that's hired people in the past, how much weight do you put on formal education? And I, I can preface this by saying I've been to a couple, you know, meetup events recently, and the speaker talks about how education for the future is a very difficult task because technology is emerging so quickly and the stuff that someone's going to learn their freshman year is going to be out of date by the time they graduate. So being someone that's in the field themselves, how much weight do you put on you know, formal education? So formal education is important uh, for those foundational items. You know, can you communicate well? You have critical thinking skills. Um, but beyond that, I don't put a lot of weight on formal education when it comes to those, uh, skills that they're, they're going to be the difference between a practitioner, uh, or a professional that I'm going to hire who's going to excel and somebody that's just going to pull the status quo or, or total line yeah. with the status quo. Makes sense. Um, the reason is the technology moves so quickly that traditional formal education, in my experience, has not kept up with it. I agree. And, uh, and it, 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 the degree to which that is the case in my experience has been the case in my experience. It's, it's almost alarming. It's, you know, um, I've seen a few places that do it well, um, not plugging it or anything, mm -hmm. but uh, Western Governors University uh, does a decent job of keeping their IT degrees up to date um, just because they don't marry themselves to any one data source, so to speak, and they'll you know, keep their courses up to date. Another one that's really good is cyberary.it. So uh, it's, it's it's like library with a CY on the front of it, yeah. and it was started by security professionals. Uh, and the intention behind it was to give people access to quality security focused education, and it kind of expanded into IT, all of IT. So it covers things like project management, uh, mm -hmm. IT security topics, IT in general topics. Uh, um, and it is created and um, I guess curated would be the right word by, by the people who develop it who are security professionals working in the industry. And, and I think that's the thing that traditional education misses when it comes to technology. Yeah, you can go there. You can learn about, you know, technology in general, but it's going to be more of a snapshot in time than a truly applicable, uh, up-to-date version of what you, you can expect to see in real life. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I, I asked that question, you know, because I, I'm always interested in the answer. But I think, you know, college for kids now, and, you know, I don't have kids yet, but at some point, I mean, I probably have to have that conversation with them. But <laughs> I think, you know, college by that point is going to be more teaching people how to learn so mm-hmm. that they can continue to learn and, you know, potentially have to change their career path mm-hmm. numerous ways, um, yep. you know, in their lifetime. So I think that's I interesting. I agree. I mean, uh, saying that you want to be a security professional, an, an information security professional, is like declaring I want to become a lifelong learner and, and never stop. I don't know if we're like supposed to, we're, we're probably totally screwing this up. Like there's some... Some expert watching us going, like, <laughs> morons, like, what? You're supposed to, like, stand up and spin around three times and drink a glass of water while punching a stuffed chicken. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because I've, um, I've actually started something a while ago with my friends where we actually do tastings. So I think, you know, kind of how we started this conversation with, like, kind of how hard it can be to get into bourbon. Yes. Um, I didn't really know, again, I didn't know much about it when I started had some friends that were really into it along the way that kind of helped, you know, tell me about certain bottles, but it can be pretty intimidating, like from the mm-hmm. outside looking in. So what I started doing was one, starting a note on my phone to like every time I tried one, I put like a little yes or no, like I liked it, didn't like it, <laughs> why? But what I've started doing is, um, you know, I'll have friends over and we'll do blind tastings. Okay. So I have a, enough of a collection now where I've People come over, I'll try to like mix and match different ones to really try to pinpoint what people like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think in general, like these uh, these makers, private selects always kind of get me because some of them are a little bit sweeter. And mm-hmm. I like, uh, personally, I like bourbons that are a little higher proof, but have like a sweeter finish to them. Mm-hmm. And it, usually, you know, these makers ones that they've got a high like mocha stave or something like that, they're usually a little bit sweeter. So that's okay. Like, like okay. Them. Yeah. I mean, that's, and you've got a, a website too. Right. Uh, well, I'm, I'm I'm going to be starting. I don't have anything on there yet, but you know we have a web hosting service. That <laughs> Perfect. Just, uh, Perfect. That's another. That could be episode two. Shameless plug. That's that's perfect. I actually have to pick your brain about that. But okay. I do. I, I own uh, bourbonbookclub.com. I run uh, Bourbon Book Club on Instagram. And I have a, a Facebook group that's a little bit smaller, just a, an intimate group of friends that we okay. talk about. So. That's kind of, it started as a joke, like, oh, the Bourbon Book Club, like those guys don't read. Um, but what it ended up being was just a way to you know, get together with some friends and try to be a little bit more serious about like, you know, learning about it. Mm-hmm. So how it started was um, we had some individuals that I, uh, I used to work with them and we would get together and everyone would bring a different bottle, Okay. Um, which we learned you have to keep the groups kind of small or else you end up having to stay at your friend's house in the middle of the week. But you, uh, everyone brought their own bottle. And we actually had printed off uh, tasting sheets okay. that went through everything from like the color to what mm-hmm. uh, what do you smell like what are the you know, different notes that you're smelling what are the what are the tastes that you're getting what is the finish that you get and how would you rate it so do you want to do this makers like go through it like that like oh yeah that's that's uh, yeah just real quick like I guess if you're looking at I mean I would say that's probably like uh, like okay. a, like a honey. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'd be like, it's kind of brown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say, I mean, maybe like a honey or like a light copper, maybe. Okay. It's very creative of you. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would be really bad at this. Like, 
See, that's what the worksheet teaches. So that's, uh, that's what, yeah, I need, I need a color. Is there a coloring book? For yeah, that I one? mean, there could be. You're onto something there. Maybe, yeah. It smelled like booze. It does. I mean, I get like vanilla. I think it's like a sweeter. Yeah, it's real, it's like a sharp kind of a scent. But then again, uh, that might just be me smelling me out. Well, your nose is in it, so that's. And I get there, I get vanilla and maybe like a, uh, like you, I think I, you always get kind of the char smell yeah. in there. And finally, so the taste, and this is what I've been, how I've been told to okay. drink bourbon. It's almost like a scotch. Like with scotch, I think you're supposed to kind of hold it in your mouth and breathe over it to get some of those tastes. Okay. I think with bourbon, I kind of do the same thing. I kind of let it sit at the front of my mouth and then kind of you know, work its way back a little bit. All right. But you try to pick out like... Um, like almost consistencies that you're feeling in your mouth. Like, is it an oily feel? Is it you know drying you out right away? Is mm -hmm. it um, you know, tingling? Is it like a burn right away? Mm -hmm. That's what I always okay. try to pick out too. Okay. So I get. I mean, my tongue's on fire right now. Yeah, that's. What is it? This is um, so. I think if you look at the stage, one hundred and eight. <laughs> so, so if you look at the stage selection on this, I mean, they do have some toasted French spice. I feel like that's what that burn usually is—is yeah. like a, a spice. But then there's also pretty high uh, French mocha as well. Okay. So, I mean, if you, okay. I always try to think like, especially with the aftertaste. If you try to think like a Hershey bar, oh okay, you start to kind of taste it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You work at Charlie's Chocolate Factory. Yeah, yeah. This is, I mean, this is all good stuff. Like, cause, cause, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm like very basic <laughs> in, in in so many ways. Your pumpkin spice latte. I you. am. Yeah, just give me some yeah. Ugg boots and a North Face <laughs> jacket, and I am, I am you're, in there. You're set for the bourbon <laughs> But uh, I mean, I just know that it's good. It's, it's. I can taste the spice. You know, it burns. Yeah. Um. But uh, uh, yeah, it just just tastes good to me. I mean, um, but uh, the um, the hard thing for me is really remembering. So I think that's where your idea of writing stuff out, yes, yeah. comes into play. Like because taking the notes, yes, no. <laughs> well. And you know, I've done you know some searching, and maybe for you know all you developers out there, I've actually looked at trying to find like, hey, is there a you know some sort of you know app that I can download that's like a classification type? Like, can I go in and create my own bourbon list and you know rate it my own way? And I haven't really found a, a good one. There's a few out there that you can download, but I've never really gotten one that like really sticks with me. Yeah. So yeah. Well, um, I take note, you entrepreneurial. Yeah. All you entrepreneurial folks. Uh, job opportunity or entrepreneurial opportunity. Yeah, <clears throat> that's how you can tell we haven't drank enough yet. You can actually <laughs> say that stuff. Entrepreneurial. <laughs> so you work in the talent industry. What trends are you seeing as far as how people are doing things? Yeah, I mean, there's. Um, I mean. I, I kind of hate using the, the phrase like war on talent because I feel like there's people have used that for the last like I've five never years. Heard that. Oh my goodness. 
Um, but you can tell you, you're not in the town industry at that point because everyone, that's how everyone said, oh, there's a war on town, there's a war on town. And it's been that way for so long. But mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing is um, kind of a shift in the way companies are doing things. So I think uh, one of the biggest things with, you know, future of work and, you know, the gig economy, like, are you familiar with either of those terms? Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with the gig economy. Okay. Um, so, so future of work, I mean, I, at least the way I understand it is more just like, hey, where is work going to be in the coming years? Like, what what are companies doing now to fit people's lifestyles that are changing? Um, and one of the big things I'm seeing is um, offering some sort of remote capability to workers. I think mm-hmm. um, in any field, you know, whether it be you know IT security, you know, just information technology in general, or mm-hmm. you know, finance or accounting or whatever. I think um, one of the big things that employees want the most is work-life balance. I mean, you hear that all the time. Well, I want to, you know, I want to take my kids to soccer practice. I want to get them on the bus and all that stuff. I think what companies are doing is being a little bit more flexible about that. I think it's starting to be, uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day that I think they said um, they pulled, you know, some number of individuals and they said at least 70% of individuals have some sort of remote capability in their job, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is great. I mean, yeah. uh, personally, I, I work fully remote right now. Um, and it's changed my life. I mean, um, I'm much more, you know, focused. I feel like I get a lot more done. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, I can take a break in the middle of the day if I need to and take my dog for a walk. So um, I think that's a big thing that we're seeing. I think a lot of the uh, the market is shifting that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we were talking about it beforehand. It sounds like some of the stuff that uh, you guys are doing actually gives people the capability to even do that type of work. So I'm interested to hear your side yeah. of the story. Um so I think one of the things that has really uh, enabled this this kind of move towards remote work uh, has been the move to the cloud. Mm-hmm. It, it, by and large, companies are headed that direction. They're going to cloud-hosted applications and really decentralizing their infrastructure so that they have less of a uh, you know dog in the fight, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as maintaining that infrastructure is concerned, and it's, I think it's led to people uh, wanting. Okay, we don't have these systems we have to babysit that live, you know, in that closet down the hall. It's all off-prem. We don't have to worry about maintaining the servers, maintaining the the site, the temperature, yeah. the the room that the stuff stored in. Um, we can get by by just using the application and maybe maintaining who can access it. And one of the things that we've we've tried to do is focus on that as far as security solutions are concerned. We have gone towards technologies that allow companies to maintain control over their intellectual property mm-hmm. uh, and uh, secure their employees' devices wherever they are, or regardless of whether it's BYOD or company issued company issued uh, device, um, we use technologies that allow us to provide identity and access management uh, that can be tied into the various cloud applications that are out there, and still work with legacy applications that might be on premise. Uh, and they wrap in 
such a degree of security as to ensure if someone is accessing your application, it is someone you want to have access. But it takes it a step further in enabling people to ask for things they need. So if you needed an application, we have a way to give you a dashboard that your employees can say, I need access to this. It gets routed automatically to someone who's designated to approve that request. Click, click accept. They get the application they need. And I mean, it's, it can take less than five minutes. Hmm. Uh, so I have a question for you. So mm -hmm. you know, given that I kind of live and breathe in this space every day, can you tell me, you know, an organization um, you know, wants to offer that capability to, um, you know, their employees and they don't take the necessary, necessary steps to make sure that things are secure, what can happen? So the downfall, that's a great question. The downfall of any cloud application is it's accessible from anywhere. Right, which um, is a good, it's a double-edged sword. It's a double-edged sword. It cuts both ways. It's great because you can be at conference room P, as we would call it, Panera Bread, <laughs> uh, and you can access your application. But it's not good because you can be in some other country. Yeah and trying to access the application in an unauthorized fashion. Um, and a lot of applications lack the ability on their own to not only stop that, but also let you know that it's happening. They can't even detect it. They can't even detect it. An example that I would give is we did an integration for a company and <clears throat> um, once it was finished, it was an overnight integration. It was finished. It's like 1.30 in the morning because of where they were at lo locale-wise. Uh, uh, <laughs> we start getting all these alerts and complaints about accounts being locked out. What was happening was the client's O365 instance had been under constant brute force attack. For uh, us non-IT folks, what would that mean? So that would mean there's, just imagine someone just trying password after password uh, after password. So password uh, one, two, three. Yeah, yeah. There, it, we call it like a, a, a dictionary attack or um, something along those lines where you're just, you're throwing known passwords at accounts and waiting for something to open up. And that was happening to their O365 instance and they had not configured it to send any kind of alerts. So we freaked out because we just finished this thing and now all these accounts are locked out. The reason they were locked out is the security that we added in uh, caused those accounts to lock out um, due to the number of failed login attempts, um, and which we quickly rectified. And what we did was we blocked the source of those brute force attacks. That's awesome. Um, uh, and before that, they had no idea. They had no idea. Those, those were happening continuously. They didn't have a clue. And that's just one example of, of how it is great. You can access it anywhere, but it's also terrible because so can everyone else. Right. They can knock on the door just like you can, unless you've taken steps to ensure that, you know, the door is inaccessible uh, to people who shouldn't be knocking on it. Scary stuff. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So let's try, let's go on to the next bourbon. Uh, 
So this one is uh, Stag Junior. I believe this is the thirteenth one that they've put out. Batch thirteen. Batch thirteen. Um, it's one hundred twenty-eight point four proof. Uh, which, for those of you who are mathematically inclined, <laughs> unlike myself, sixty-four point two percent alcohol by volume. Now this is Buffalo Trace, right? Correct. Yeah. So, um, which I. Why don't you pour it first? Since I've been, okay. I've been doing it. <laughs> You've been salt. doing it. Yeah. All right. So, I am a big fan of Buffalo Trace. So, you like the smell? I would say leather mm -hmm. and cherries. Yeah. Yeah, I get the cherries and yeah, the leather too. This one, if you heard me say it last time, like that oily taste in your mouth, and I feel like this one coats the entire. Your entire palate. Oh yeah, that one and went right up my <laughs> right up the nose. Right huh? up my nose. Mm. <laughs> and that is good. It is really, really good. Wow! And if you look at the look at the glass, can you see that how it sticks to the side like that? I believe they say it's got legs. It's got right? legs. It's yeah. Got legs. Um, so you brought up uh, an interesting topic. One of your favorite. Do you have a uh, top three or top five? I know I do, and that's a list that I keep running in my phone as well. Yeah, I would say. Uh, Stag is in my in my top five for sure, and I just I just we we just got this a few weeks ago. I gave it a try, instantly fell in love. Um, I W Harper is another one. Okay, I really like that one. The finish on it is really smooth. Uh, Blanton's, it's you know that's you and the rest of the bourbon industry have yeah. that in their top five. Yeah, <laughs> because it's just I mean it's. It is so consistently good. I've never had I've never had anybody go here. Here's have a blends, and and I try and I go. Hmm, that's that's something not right about that. I and mean, not once. Yeah, it's very consistent. Uh, they had that fire a while ago, or something. I think like that, that might have been a Barton. Like a Barton. They had well, they had a uh, Rickhouse collapse. Oh, that's what they okay. Yeah, I'm okay. waiting for like a Survivor series or like Rickhouse. <laughs> on, um, you'll, you'll triple the cost of that bottle. Yeah. Well, I'll be like, oh, it's unique. <laughs> but uh, like, no, that was our two-year-old bourbon that just fell. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think those are definitely in there. Um, uh, Jefferson, the sea uh, cask. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Um, I like that one a lot. I think that's one of the cooler stories. Really out there. cool. It's yeah, unique. it's very unique. Um, for, for those of you that don't know, it's basically the cask is put on a ship. Uh, it's not like at sea, but it's it's, it's in, in a harbor. harbor. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, honestly, it may just be a gimmick, but whatever it is, it works because yeah. it's like, wow, that's different. It's marketing yeah. at its finest. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, and I, and I do like it. It's a it's a great bourbon. Uh, um, I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, my my other one. It, I mean, there's so many good bourbons out there. Uh, I should have warned you before throwing that at you. Uh, yeah, that was a tough one. Uh, I think Maker's Mark, honestly, is uh, just just rounds out your top five. Yeah, yeah, I think it does because it's. It, I, I like consistency, and uh, and Maker's is always consistently good. Coming from a security guy, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, consistent <laughs> consistency is key. I get it. I, on the other hand, not being a security guy, like different. Yeah, yeah, I, I like yeah. uh, some variation in my stuff. So, uh, I, I also have Stag Junior in my top five. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think up to this point, I've probably tried like maybe four, four or five of their batches. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone, like, I haven't done like a blind taste of them all together, but I'd love to. I think that'd be really unique. Um, yeah. I also love Elijah Craig Barrel Proof. Oh, yeah. Their stuff. I mean, it, that's that stuff burns, but. I like Elijah Craig. I mean, like, when you open that up. Yeah. I mean, I remember they open one up and they walk past with it. And I was like, man, is it paint thinner? What is that? Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> the paint just starts falling off the walls in the hallway. But it's really good stuff. Yeah, it's really good. And honestly, for anyone out there that's listening that is into security but not bourbon and doesn't care what the heck we're talking about, if you're trying to get into it, even Elijah Craig's small batch, I think, I mean, I think it's 35 bucks, if that. Yeah. And it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. But Elijah Craig Barrel Proof, E.H. Um, Taylor Barrel Proof. Mm-hmm. You know, one, it's it's really hard to find. Fortunately, my brother-in-law was able to hook me up with a bottle, but that stuff is, yeah, that might actually be better than Elijah Craig Bell Proof in my mind. But yeah, um, then to round mine off is uh, Willet Four Year Rye. I uh, love that stuff. I, I actually love everything Willet does, but mm-hmm. uh, Willet Four Year Rye, and then, you know, I'm still a sucker for uh, Weller Antique. It, it kind of had a boom here in Columbus for a yeah. while. Like everyone was buying it off the shelves, and I was fortunate to have some. But it's still, I, I think, one of the best. I, I like. Um, I mentioned earlier, I like higher proof, sweeter stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so with it being a weeded bourbon, I think, um, yeah. but it kind of lends to yeah. you know, being in my top five. So I'd say those are those are mine. Yeah, yeah, those are all solid. I mean, honestly, it's it's uh, it's frustrating. Like. Like I can only do five. Like, <laughs> <laughs> when I think, um, whenever I talk to people that are, you know, maybe like novice or you know, just trying to get into bourbon, mm-hmm. I always ask them, uh, you know, what do you like? And they're like, oh, you know, I don't know. I, I hate rides though. And yeah. I was actually looking into it today because um, I, I I was one of those people. <laughs> I look back mm-hmm. a couple years ago and I was like, oh, rides not for me. And I think so. The definition between you know bourbon and rye: bourbon has to be you know fifty one percent corn and a, you know a bunch of other variables. Rye has to be at least fifty one percent rye and some other variables. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I realized, you know, now looking back, I like a lot of different you know tastes. So I think everyone's introductory to rye is probably bullet rye. Yeah, I think almost. It. I mean, like that was mine because they they were really the first big one that came out. Yeah. and hit the market. Well, and I was trying to think to myself, I was like, why did I not like it? Um, and then I researched it. And actually, so Bullet Rye is 95%, their mash bill is 95% rye. Mm-hmm. So that's like, that's I learned like how to swim, killing. so I'm going to go off the high dive first thing. I mean, that is, I mean, that, that's on the other side of the spectrum. So, I mean, I, you got to take baby steps into this. Yeah. <laughs> you got to go into the shallow end, deep end, then the high dive. But I think that is actually might be what scares people away from it a lot of times. I think I think that's that was my introduction to it. Yeah, because I mean it, it does. It has a rougher uh, taste. Yeah, it's it spicy. Is, it's, it's spicy. It's not as easy and smooth, right? Uh, as as uh, more traditional bourbons. And if that's what you're into, and you go to yeah. bullet rye, expecting it to be. It's gonna dry your tongue out. Like yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> right you're, you're gonna you're gonna take that it. But I was I was trying to think from there. I was like, hey, again, you know, maybe not everyone listening to this podcast is super into you know knowing about that stuff. But right. um, if you wanted to try uh, maybe a rye that might suit your palate a little bit more, if you haven't tried Old Forester's rye, so it's actually a hundred proof rye, 
Uh, but I think it's only, I think it's mashable. It's like 65%. So it's a, a lot less. And I think it's like $23 right now. And how it is that, I have no idea. It's delicious. It is so good. I'll have to give it a it's try. It's so good. So yeah, for all your listeners out there, I, you know, you're welcome. <laughs> well, we can blame you for the price. Though, yeah. <laughs> when it's 50 bucks next year, <laughs> you can come beat me up. Old Forester, 120 bucks. <laughs> Secondary market. I hope so. It'll be all in my basement in my bunker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what, what about this? Uh, what about this other one that you got? Here? So uh, I know you're pretty excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so this is a Clyde Mays Cask Strength Limited Release. Uh, it's a 10-year uh, distilled and aged in Kentucky, and it's it's a uh, straight bourbon, uh, 117 proof. Um, there was only like. What, like five bottles of this ever made or something like that? <laughs> yeah, it was 3,500 bottles released, and uh, the MSRP on this is $250. Uh, and I believe we had to get this one on the secondary market, and so it was... 250 only $200 outside It was range. more than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we, we had talked before this, I think the secondary market, it's a little foreign to me. I don't really follow it too much, but I know, I think uh, Pappy... Van Winkle's 23 year is also $250 on SRP, but yeah. you can't find it for less yeah. than you know, $1,500, $1,700 if you're lucky. You can even find it. Well, so. I mean, that's why they have the lotteries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this is uh, this is kind of a unique uh, thing. I feel like I just walked into like a flower garden. Really? Man. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, like wow. floral. Oh, man. I feel like I'm in spring. We just yeah. fast forwarded like two months in Ohio. It's like walking. Walking through, breathing deeply at Macy's. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, or, you know, pick your department store That's great. choice. Very great. Again, like some spice, but like super duper smooth. That is super really smooth. smooth. Wow. I mean, the whole way through. And I guess that's why it's, you know, so hard to find, maybe? Yeah. Think? <laughs> I think that may have a lot to do with it. I mean, that's... I can't get over the smell. I wish they'd make a handle out of that. <laughs> Oh, that'd be good. We need to get all the Gwyneth Paltrow at the Goop Lab. Try get some of this. <laughs> Gwyneth, if you're, uh, if you're listening, if you're listening, listening. You know, make it happen. We'll get you in touch with the Clyde Mays people. I mean, we won't, but you probably have somebody that can do that for you. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but yeah, no, that's 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 amazing. tremendous. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like I a like a oaky char taste. That's like. Just sweet and nice and easy to drink. Yeah, and that spicy taste. I mean, like the finish is is it, it's a little rough. The finish to me was a little bit, just a smidge. But then again, I drink like a freaking. <laughs> so, uh, um, Man, that was that was some good stuff. Yeah, that was a uh, that was really good. Like uh, you could really taste taste multiple different. Uh, uh, flavors. Flavor notes in that. Yeah. Yeah. It smells so good. So, so you uh, work for Toptel. Yep. And if somebody wanted to become uh, one top of the, taller? the top tellers, yeah. yeah. What, what what would what what does that entail? How is that different than? Yeah, so we're, uh, you know, we're a little unique, uh, very unique, actually. So we are um, a private.
private network of pre-vetted professionals that span uh, multiple industries between software engineering, um, design, product management, project management, and finance. So to get into our uh, curated network of top talent, you actually have to go through a pretty rigorous screening process. It, it takes a little bit while. It takes a little while to get into it, but um, it's 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 really worth it. So what you know, our big selling point is you know we've got the quality talent that you know we can provide immediate access to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, we really hang our hat on the quality of talent that we can offer, as well as the um, the speed at which we can do it. So I mean, mm-hmm. the the delivery piece is almost instant. Um, so within 24 to 48 hours, we can usually get individuals um, some profiles to review. And I mean, from a, a security standpoint or any, anything we've talked about, I mean, that's um, that's top of the line for, for anyone. So, uh, if you want to get a hold of me, I mean, um, you, know, you can look me up on LinkedIn, you know, Jordan Polk, F-U-L-K. Mm-hmm. My parents forgot the A when, uh, when I was born. But um, so you can look me up on, on LinkedIn. You can you know hit, shoot me an email, jordan.folk at toptal.com. Mm-hmm. It's T-O-P-T-A-L. Um, you know, if you're if you want to talk about bourbon, I'm always up for that. <laughs> like I mentioned, that, so I uh, I run you know the Bourbon Book Club. You can look me up on Instagram. It's bourbon underscore book underscore club. Um, okay. If you want to join the Facebook group, you know, just look for Bourbon Book Club and, and shoot me a note. Awesome. I'm happy to chat. Awesome. Uh, subscribe to our uh, podcast and uh, rate it five stars. Rate it five stars if you wouldn't mind. Share it with your friends. Um, we do plan on doing a lot more of these in the future and, uh, I have to be a part of them. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming in. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for watching.